Hey everybody, Jordan here. I have to be kind of quiet because my baby is sleeping right behind me. But in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about uh, our book wishes for 2020 and we kind of speculate on what's going to come out of D&D for 2020. Um, as well as Lucian is still in love with Tomb of Annihilation and I'm prepping more Shadowfell adventure fun. <music> Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My, the first one of 2020, very first show of the new year. My name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle, and I'm joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. It is 2020. Crazy. We're in a whole new decade, whole new year, and everybody's definitely, I think this is going to be the year of Dungeons and Dragons. The year just of the double crit. Just because of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> everybody's caught on to that meme. <laughs> it's a good meme. Uh, yeah. Although it was funny, I saw uh, James from uh, I Live for Crits, who mm -hmm. is a big Dungeon Crawl classic enthusiast. And he was like, all of you Dungeons and Dragons people with your 2020 dice, what are you going to do next year? And he took his D30 or his D24 or something and then turned it to 21 because <laughs> he has uh, extra stuff. Because uh, DCC dice use the Zo Zochi dice, Zoki dice, and uh, they, they have like D24s, D30s, D16s, uh, and it's, it's a lot of fun. So you have like wonky dice. It's really cool. Um, the decade of D&D. So I was thinking today, um, it's going to be, when did, wait, now I, now I have to second guess myself. I think it's going to be 2024 is going to be the 50 year anniversary of Dungeons and Dragons because 2019 was the 45th anniversary of D&D, I think. Uh, yeah, because yeah, yeah, because seventy four was the the year credited yeah. to D and D, the year I was born. <laughs> so twenty twenty four will be fifty years of D and D. Um, that's crazy. What are they gonna do? What do celebrate you think? my birthday? Well, okay. <laughs> I mean, we're talking like four years off, but like yeah. that's huge. Like, and and the popularity of D and D right now, like Wizards has to have something planned already. They have to be like, we're gonna release every edition backwards and you play it yeah. from level 20 to level one and it's going to be crazy yeah and well what if the the popularity curve is at its height though that's what i mean yeah well what if it's going down by then oh no i don't know right <laughs> i don't like to think about it no don't want to think about we're it here, what, we're here we're here in the year of the release of fifth edition like if you do third edition fourth edition fifth edition yeah it goes pretty strong for a bunch of years and then there's there's a turn somewhere somehow maybe that'll be the announcement of sixth edition or maybe they'll call it i can't even imagine a sixth edition D, &D right now. next i can't either but uh uh well no i take that back like uh uh not jeremy crawford uh mike morales has tweeted this was a long time ago that he doesn't like bonus actions and uh -huh. he was like, a cleaner approach to the design of the game is this. And then I forget exactly what he said. But there was a bunch of tweets <laughs> where he was just like, I enjoy this mechanic better. And I think it's cleaner and more precise and would be better for D&D. &D, but it's a little like bonus actions are too ingrained in 5th edition 
So it would have to be like a 5.5 or a 6 edition for him to revise that. So, you know, uh, every creative person out there is constantly thinking about, uh, you know, the process of whatever they're creating, whether it's a painting or blah, blah, blah. You know, they're, they're like, you know, mm-hmm. if I just had done that or if an architect is like, ah, that building, blah, blah, blah. And so I, I get it that they're, con- you know, they are thinking whether they're going to implement this or not. But it, it is, I don't know, it fascinates me that they could already be planning a future edition of DD. So, yeah, yeah. Or even just thinking, just throwing it out there. Like if you were to line up the difference between, let's say, third edition and fourth edition. Uh-huh. You can see why the editions are different because they there's a lot of differences in that column. There's there's some stuff that's the same, but there's yeah, a lot of differences. Wizards. You have yeah, 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 fighters, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> and then if you look at fourth and you put fifth in a column, you have these columns and you go, okay, yeah. there's still a lot of differences. So at some point in the future, this will be absolutely true. There will be a fifth edition column and there'll be a sixth edition column. Oh, man. And we'll look at that and we'll go, wow, look at these differences. But Right now, I can't imagine what they would be just because I am just love the system so much and I'm so into playing it where we're playing so many games of it that's like ingrained that it's hard to even think about. So I'm, I'm impressed that those guys can do that kind of stuff because I can't even think about what a different version would look like at this point. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. Um, it makes me – so I wonder if we'll get like prestige classes for fifth edition at some point and mm-hmm. they will they will start to implement those where where and I, I always think of prestige classes and it makes me think of vampires because i think in fourth edition that was a prestige class so or maybe even third edition but i'm more familiar with fourth edition don't judge me there were uh but you would have to be like i need you know so many levels of of fighter or so many levels of this and then you could take this prestige class vampires a bad uh example of that because i think you just had to get bit and then you could take levels of vampire um, but it makes me think, so I played a, back in the day, a lot of final fantasy 11, uh, online. And by a lot, I mean, it consumed a good five, <laughs> maybe six years of my life. Mm-hmm. And that game I thought was really unique. Cause I had never seen this mechanic in other games is that you have a main class or a main job. Cause they, they didn't call them class. Wow. World of Warcraft called them classes. But Final Fantasy XI called them jobs. But you'd have your main job and a sub-job. So let's say you are a level 50 black mage, um, but you have leveled white mage to level 40. Well, you can Mm -hmm. set white mage as a subclass or a sub-job, and then when you go out into your world to do battle, you have all of the abilities of a level 50 black mage and a level 25 white mage. Hmm. And I always thought that was really cool. And part of me wants to implement that for D&D. Like, how cool would it be for you to be like, okay, I am an artificer, but I have a subclass of fighter. So when I'm a level 10 artificer, I actually have all of the benefits of a level 5 fighter. And I, and I realized, like, some of it wouldn't work because you would get um, double ability score improvements and things like that. You'd have to, like, modify it in some way so that it, it doesn't, like, overpower you. But I like the idea of having... Mm-hmm a almost a a multi-class without the hindrances of multi-class and maybe that's something i'll try but i i don't know i always think about like if i were to tinker with dungeons and dragons i would ironically make it more like a video game when dungeons and dragons cured me of my mmo addiction uh by playing tabletop games but i don't know it's kind of yeah it's interesting like that are there are there like mechanics like that that you think about that you want to implement in D? 
Yeah, I think uh, I always like character customization. So anything that's going to give me lots and lots of cool options. And I know that some people coming to the game, when you're thinking about new players and you don't want to overwhelm them, I get that. But me as a player, I love lots of options. I love to think about there's, you know, uh, 50 different subclasses that we could go into, or there's right now we're up to like 12 classes, 13 if you had artificer right so if we got up to 20 classes all of a sudden somehow i think that'd still be fun for me because i would love diving in and and thinking about the different types of characters i could create because they all would match pop culture characters that i'm either reading about or seeing on tv or you know i'd be able to make the witcher i'd Mm -hmm. be able to to make you know whatever cool fun thing i could make a baby yoda and play him you know whatever happens there's a way in dnd to play that so i think on that perspective yeah i hope sixth is about a lot of character customization options um, that are more less tied to, I have to take this class to get it and more tied to, if I want it, I can add it to mm-hmm. the thing I'm doing, um, which is kind of the, the, the way that role-playing games went. I believe in the eighties, you started with really kind of class restricted roles, but then a lot of RPGs came out and said, you know, let's get rid of classes. That was a big thing. We don't have classes. We just have this big skill list. And you pick what skills you want and how good you're in those skills. And that's what you do is what you are. So they kind of they, they stake their hill on we're called classless system. So you can do whatever you want. And then it kind of swung back around. MMOs came out and it turned back into, well, no, I'm a I'm a paladin. And that's yeah. this thing. And, you know, so I think it goes back and around. But the other thing I would like to see that we got on this crazy subject. Um, (laughs) I want battle in Dungeons and Dragons to be quicker. Really? I feel like it's pretty quick. Well, you do some crazy fights, but yeah. Yeah. When, when things start to get big, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, when there's, I don't know, 15 NPCs on the board, you've got a six player party, uh, everybody's in that level 10 or 11 area. There's abilities flying everywhere. The the action economy for every individual thing on the board is two or three things during their turn. They're part of the round. Yeah. And you're trying to rotate through all of that. And all of a sudden, in a three-hour session, you've spent – I've spent games where we've had to use multiple sessions yeah. to get through one battle. Yeah. You know? And I, I – hoping that there are smart people out there that can figure out a way to keep it as fun as it is, keep it so that we have all the options that we have, but somehow streamline it. So it's, it's quicker to get through all of those cool things so that you can really focus on the narration of the battle and what's going on and little things that help speed that through. So maybe instead of in a session, you only have one say big encounter uh, in a three hour session, maybe you're able to really get in two good encounters in a three hour session with plenty mm-hmm. of opportunities still to RP and investigate and, and do some other stuff. So I don't know. That's what I was hoping for. Um, maybe some way to streamline that process, but is I that, love it. I is mean, that what, uh, uh, Colville's, uh, not yeah. Kingdoms and warfare. Is that what he's trying to do? Or is that more of a, that's uh, a big battle. That's like a, yeah. You're just talking yeah, about yeah, like yeah. a, not a, not a battle involving two armies, but no. like those really large climactic battles, because I agree with you. We had uh, the the finale to our uh, uh, our homebrew campaign that my uh, GM Nathan is running, and uh, that lasted two sessions. And I had never had a fight go that long before. 
but he he felt that it was necessary and it really like when you're at max power and you have a two session you know like a I'm going to say, I think it was a five hours total, five hour battle. Like you dwindle down on resources and you're, you know, throwing brooms and kitchen sinks at people at some point. Cause you're just like, I got nothing left. So it, it can feel mm-hmm. epic, but it did take a long time to get there. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if I know the answer to that because there's skill challenges. There's other things. Like I think fourth edition tried to curve a lot of uh, the, the long fights that fourth edition had, but um, I don't know. It's uh Yeah. Chat, chat is giving suggestions. That the, the only problem is we're just playing too little. And you're probably right. If we were playing six to 12 hour sessions, there like we, we used to do as kids. I mean, I did as kids. That would be, we would get together. We knew it was a Friday night yeah. and we would play long into the night. It would be right after school or whatever it was. And we would just play and play and play and play and play. And, and maybe that is true that we're trying to pigeonhole a game that takes more time into our busy adult lives where we've got work in the morning all the players that we're organizing have stuff to do the next day we, they can't really carve out a 12-hour chunk of their day for this they can we can get them for a three-hour or four-hour chunk but not a so i mean maybe that's true maybe maybe we need a 2020 edition of dungeons and dragons that's for short session time so maybe it does streamline some of that stuff or i know so many a lot of people are always saying too 5e is always the players are powerful. They're overpowered. It's too easy for the players. That's another thing that 5e can kind of have leveraged against it. What, what do you think about like the, they create a sixth edition, but it's like the dark souls of dungeons and dragons. It goes hard mode. It goes hardcore, which kind of leans back into your DCC stuff, but maybe they really tackle the idea of remember they did it in back in the day when they had basic dungeons and dragons, they had advanced dungeons and dragons and they had expert, Dungeons yeah. and Dragons. Those are the box sets you could get. So maybe they could go back to this. Here's your regular D and D five E, and this is great for most people. And here's hard mode, or no, you know whatever it is. You know, and uh, I I almost wish they would come out with like an alternate rule set to do that. And so rather than yeah. like like and they let's be honest, they could do this with just saying here's the standard array, but here's hard mode standard array, or mm-hmm. like here's uh you know forty six drop the lowest. And here's you roll 3d6 and take what you get. Mm-hmm. Um, and if and, and anybody can do that already. We don't need wizards to tell us how to do that. And I'm actually listening to a podcast, uh, Board with Life Adventures, where they did that. He did 3d6 down the line. And they have to uh, – he's using a lot of BX rules, uh, basic expert D&D um, back from 1980s, I think. And Mm -hmm. uh, he's using a lot of those rules in his game, which is why I'm listening to it, because I find it so interesting, where they have to have not only experience points, but gold to level up. So whenever they want to level, so they might get enough experience points to level up, but if they don't have enough gold, they don't level. And in order to level, they have to go back to the school that they're being trained at and fork over a bunch of money to get training, and then they come out and they're level two. And I thought that was just a really cool, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of resource management, but in that game, it's so dark and gritty that they're making choices of, do I want to fire this arrow? Do I want (laughs) to cast this spell? Like this is big, you know, and and they're not just like whipping out wands of fireballs and doing whatever they want. And uh, they're, they want to go underwater. And it's like, it's a really big thing of like, do I bring X, Y, and Z and we need potions of water breathing and, and magic items are rare. So 
I I would like something like that, but I don't know if we need a whole new like Dark Souls edition of D and D. I just think that they could be like you know, limit the or number. A box set. Yeah, or a box set. Yeah, and and actually, yeah, that kind of gets into something else I wanted to talk about this game too. Is just like the <laughs> lack of, the lack of campaign settings and box set and kind of things like that. But I don't know. It's just kind of, yeah. I don't know. I I I like the the random difficulty and scariness of dungeon crawl classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of fills that niche for me. Um, I realized that a lot of people, oh, I have realized over the course of a year of trying to get people to play DCC with me that not everybody likes how uh, like swingy it is, I guess is the best word. And that it can, you can feel like a really cool badass when you roll a 20 but when you roll like a natural one and you end up stabbing yourself or your friend and that kills you, I find that hilarious. Uh, they might not. And they get really <laughs> frustrated, you know, and it, it kind of reminds me of a fourth edition game we played. The DM had a, a home or a, a rule at the table where if we rolled a natural one, we'd have to reroll the attack to see if we hit like a neighboring ally. And we ended up hurting a lot of people. Uh, and the monsters had to do that too, I think, but like the monsters never seem to roll as much ones as the players. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think the stream's reconnecting. We'll give it a second here. Oh, okay. Uh, We're still live on YouTube. It's going good. But and, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So I think what's fun about this is, and this is our kind of in the first session in 2020. And since there's not really a lot of news coming from Dungeons and Dragons at the moment, they're all still on vacation for the rest of this week. And they'll probably be back next week to really start going. Um, it's fun to look forward and to think about what is coming or what might come or or what we might be in store for. And there's just a lot of other people making games. Like there's so many Kickstarters and new RPGs coming out. There's uh, Paizo is really pushing their stuff forward. Yeah. And Monty Cook is pushing their stuff forward. And all these big kind of uh, distributors or, or publishers, they all have their big ideas too. So we're, I just love all these different versions of games that we're getting. And I'm still in love with D&D 5e, which is crazy because it's been, you know, so many years of it out so far, 5e itself. And I've really liked it. I mean, I've, I've not had as any, nope. as many gripes or I haven't had this feeling like I should jump to another system because it runs so well. Yeah, no, oh. I, I love 5e. Uh, you're frozen on my end, but I can yeah. still hear you. It's acting weird. Can you hear me, though? I can hear you. There you are. Now you're back. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Twitch, uh, but YouTube's still going okay. Um, no, I I mean, I always get really excited and want to play other RPGs, but at the end of the day, um, I just start thinking about the games that I could play with D&D, and I don't have to like I'm so familiar with D and D five E at this point that I don't have to learn a whole new system, but I don't know. I have all these crazy ideas. Uh, this is getting into some other, maybe like Bardic inspiration <laughs> stuff, but like I had an idea of picking the, um, picking like a fun storyline, um, for second edition and building characters and playing through that storyline, like say the time of troubles or something for Fo- forgotten realms. And then in uh, 3.5, take characters and play through a cool 3.5 storyline. And then take 4th edition and play through a 4th edition storyline. So you can kind of get the feel 
uh, like it would be a fun experiment to to live stream, I think, to so that other people could be like, this is what the feeling was for these things as we're transitioning through the ages of the of the different various editions of D and how that reflected on the Forgotten Realms. And now we're in fifth edition, and you know, magic is different now, and things like that. But mm-hmm. but that's I don't I just don't know if I have the time to do that. Uh, <laughs> but I was going to ask you, it is twenty twenty. Um, what based on like unearthed arcana. And, and I guess that's about it. But, like, there's not a lot of speculation other than Unearthed Kana. What kind of book do you think we're going to be getting, like, first? Is it going to be, like, April, March? I don't know. Like, are we yeah, going to get yeah, something announced Well, they have soon? to have something if they do their D&D Live event, which was in the first quarter of last year, right? Yeah. So it was in the first one to four months. And they've got to have something that's big enough to build for that. And last year it was... Waterdeep Dragon Heist, right? So it was a campaign book. Um, I don't think they want to do a big D&D live event based off of something like a Xanathar's Guide because that's more of adding options to the game but not necessarily story But driven. I think that book sold more than the stories. So I, I'm thinking, I mean, that's yeah, what I think people are excited about, about. But you're right, it's not, it's not entertainment, I guess. It's not like, yeah. um, hey, we can run through the first five pages of Descent into Avernus or something. So, Yeah, I think the very first book we're going to see next is a campaign or something similar to a Tomb of Annihilation, okay. a Descent to Avernus. Uh, it's got to be one of those, I think. I think they're going to kick the year off 2020 with a campaign book. I mean, they've got to have a story that they're going to run, I think. (laughs) But I want like a campaign book or I want a Planescape book or I want a new campaign setting book or I want, that's what I want, but I think they'll go with, you know, another storyline of some sort. It would be cool if they combined the two, if it was a, here's a Planescape book, kind of like what they did with uh, Mordekainen's Tome of Foes, where here's a bunch of lore and here's a bunch of really cool monsters. And if they did that with Planescape, like here's an adventure and here's a bunch of Planescape like you know campaign book kind of thing uh mm-hmm. and i know i keep going back to ghosts of salt marsh but like that's kind of what it is like here's a region that you can run around in here's like all the stuff in that region and then at the same time here's an adventure you could go on and i liked that a lot so yeah. i don't know i'm trying to think of like we're gonna with all of the character options i think we're gonna get some kind of like uh almost what we were talking about like basic D&D 5e and expert D&D 5e and if you want to play this version of D&D you can uh but we're also going to increase custom customization with uh these variant rules because they had that big thing on variant rules where it's like if you're a sorcerer you don't have to level up to switch out one spell you can do it on a long rest so Mm -hmm. like people can try out more things and be like you know what this cantrip wasn't the one I wanted. I want to switch it out. I want to do this. And so, uh, which now that I think about makes my D and D quiz videos kind of obsolete because everyone's going to comment, well, you can do it now. And I'll be like, look at the timestamp of the video <laughs> commenter. That's right. And you will know. <laughs> Commenters can't be reasonable. Come on. Goodness. <laughs> Asking oh, too much. I, well, and it, it makes sense. If you're going to be a business, they should be making more books that, all players and dungeon masters would want to buy not just books that are meant for dungeon masters really because a lot of the books they do build are for running a campaign which technically players 
wouldn't buy that. They wouldn't need that. It's the dungeon masters that need the book to run the adventure. They There's collectors that'll buy those books because they want to have all the books on their shelves. Or there's some people that like to read through and, and just experience the thing. But for the most part, they're books for dungeon masters. Whereas a Xanathar's Guide is a book that yeah. all the players would have bought because they're like, I want to play this in my campaign and I want to make sure I have the rules on hand in case my dungeon master didn't buy it. I have it right here. And then all of a sudden you have six people that bought that book at your table versus the one person that bought a book at the table. Yeah. Kind of thing. But they make money on so many different areas also. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely doing well enough that they're smart and they know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I wonder, I, I, I got to imagine that the live event is ran off a campaign of some sort, which then says, okay, if they're going to do that, well, we've gotten, Waterdeep and Baldur's Gate, and we've gotten Port Nerenzaru with the uh, Cholt. And we've got, I mean, what do we have left that hasn't been done? We've gotten Daggerfell, Silvery Moon. Never, I mean, where, where are we, we going to go? Yeah. East. Kalimshar or Kalimshan. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I don't know. The Devils. I mean, there's so into? many places, but if they want to stay on the Sword Coast, it's kind of like, I don't know. But then, I don't know. Everyone's like, they only do the Sword Coast. But then they did do Cholt, and that was a whole... We like, haven't had a Neverwinter book, right? A fit uh, 5e Neverwinter book? No, we don't have a 5e Neverwinter book. No. So no. Maybe we're going north. Maybe we're going to the snows this year. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, or uh, there's big there's the islands right off of the Sword Coast that, that was it the Moonshay Islands that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. maybe there's something that gets covered in there. We could go with Moonshay. Uh uh, so that makes me think of my next question. Uh, what are you hoping for in 2020? Like what book are you just like, or what resource or what do you want? We've kind of already talked about it, but I don't know. Let's, let's put it into. I know we'll question. get more campaign books. So that's cool. Yeah. But what I want, I know we're going to get that. Um, so I'm happy with that and I'm good with having those books. I love reading through them. Uh, all I, you know, got them all on the shelf. Here. Yeah. Like I definitely want another, book that's very xanathar's guide like for sure mm-hmm. something that adds in two to three subclasses per class has some variant rules you can add in if you want adds a, a bigger spell list to the spell casting group i'm a big spell casting player i wish the spell lists were bigger um and i think I think that's all that I'm really missing is is those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have lots of monsters to to use and play with yeah. still. Oh yeah, way too many um, monsters. We've got lots of campaigns to run and adventures to run. Maybe some more magic items, but even then, you can homebrew your own magic items, yeah, and yeah. things like that. But what I really want to see is, and it's it's probably because I'm reading this 4E supplement called Gloomrot, <laughs> The Shadowfell and Beyond. But I want a Shadowfell and Feywild game book. Not necessarily... I mean, it could have a, have a short adventure in it or something, but, like, I want a... Here's... A resource the, book. Resource book, yeah. I want... Here's yeah. the Feywild. Here's the Shadowfell. Um, here's how you get there. Here's what you'll find. Here are the different locations you can go. Here's how time works. Here's how, I mean, really make it like if I want to run a, an adventure in the Feywild, I have all of these different locations that I can incorporate into the campaign I'm trying to run. And, uh, I mean, it's, I mean, I've talked about it before, but like I'm running my players through a Shadowfell game, which I'm doing tomorrow. And I was reading this book all day yesterday. 
um, plotting out different places for them to go and like what are they going to run into and it's not difficult for me to read this fourth edition book and then find a fifth edition equivalent monster or this fourth edition puzzle and inc incorporated into a fifth edition puzzle but the I, I don't know they're just so much fun to read and I would love to see a fifth edition take on the Shadowfell and the Feywild because uh, fifth edition has been very Forgotten Realms centric. And the fourth edition book I have has similar creatures, but the lore is different because the lore is tied to their world of the Nether Vale. Mm -hmm. um, so the Shatter Kai are not elves, they're humans that were like subjected to the energies of the Shadowfell and they live there. And I can easily transfer those Shadow or Shatter Kai into elves, but. Um, anyway, that's, I guess that's my point. Like, it's not a big deal, but I, I would love to see them be like, here's the lore for Forgotten Realms 5th edition involving the Shadowfell and the Feywild and incorporate that. And, uh, mm -hmm. it's fun for me to make it up myself, but I also really love being inspired by these books. And right. that, uh, Gloomrot book is really good and I really like it. Do you think they would do another cataclysm kind of story arc the breaking of Faerun like like the sword coast breaks off and becomes its own continent different than the you know the other the what's left over of the you know everything else that's to the east or because no. they they did it and I'm not sure I'm not sure how it was received I don't oh, I don't yeah. remember reading about who loved it who hated it who because so, they messed with spell casting at the same time, which yeah. was kind of different. You're messing with the mechanics, but I'm just talking about a narrative cataclysm versus a, a mechanical cataclysm where they, where they change that kind of stuff. No, I don't, I don't think we'll ever get a storyline that big again, where it's like the entire world is in peril. Um, it's going to be like, you need to save Baldur's gate or you need to save this city. Uh, only because of how negative received the spell plague was. And yeah, I know that, yeah, that the spell plague is the explanation of why magic is changed. And it was kind of this really cool idea of like, oh, we're going to like on paper. I think that's a really cool idea to like, let's say, oh, like magic is changing. We'll have this event that then like transforms all this other stuff, but nobody liked it. And so they had the sundering, which was another event that just reverted everything back to normal. And because they did that, I, I think that's the lesson they learned to not do huge cataclysmic events. If players want that, they can write their own story that does that. You know, like the world is in peril of some kind and, and they have to save the entire planet. Um, but uh, I don't know. It's a, uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. I know what I want in 2020. I want a new contest that is a reality contest where the fans get to submit a new campaign setting world yeah. that Wizards of the Coast will fully support the winner of that contest. Because I think right now is one of probably the most creatively charged times mm -hmm. of the, the community itself and the players and everything that's built up and all the cool shows that are out there and all the cool new people that are getting into Dungeons and we have more new people into Dungeons and Dragons than we've ever had. I think, um, it at least feels that way to really open it up and say, okay, 
let's have some people submit some worlds and maybe they submit some stuff that we're not just even thinking of because we're always, you know, we, we always think of things as we've played in the past and the way we think about them. It takes somebody else coming from the outside to say, yeah, but you could have a world that does this. You'd be like, well, I never even thought of something yeah. like that type thing. So I think that'd be cool for, for dungeon, for wizards of the coast to embrace their community. And once again, um, push forward a cool campaign world based off of a contest from the community, I think would be really fun. Yeah, that could be a lot of fun. I don't know. I would like yeah. to see that too. Like, but, but yeah, I think, I think for me, I just want more like source books in a way, like resource books. Like I like the idea of, of, uh, and I, and I think I've, I've been reading lots of older stuff lately and it's just really nice to, to be like, Oh, I want to run a, cause I did it when I ran, uh, well, before my players were in the Shadowfell, they were in al and I was mm-hmm. reading all the second edition al stuff and stealing cities and all the, and it was just so, there's just so much info there that, I feel bad saying this that I'm like I want you to rehash it for fifth edition because that's we have all the information you know like uh, Keith Baker said that you don't need a fifth edition Eberron book all the old stuff still works you just have to like make it work yet we're super excited for this fifth edition Eberron book that came out you know yeah. so like there's there's a, there's a reason people want it for fifth edition I guess so I don't know well yeah and I think that's that's the answer we give to all of us to the dungeon masters and to the people that want more that are probably experienced, but you can't just say to the brand new dungeon master who just found dungeons and dragons because they finally watched it on a stream and want to do it. They've got their friends together who have never played and say, okay, well, we're going to do Eberron. You need to make up all your own rules because we didn't really cover that in five E yet, but you can do it yourself. I think when we are bringing all these new people in and you've got your community expanded in such a way, you want to provide them with books that help them out because eventually they'll, customize and do their own thing but you still need books that help those people that aren't ready for that yet i think and there's a lot of them now it's not like that is a small part of the community it's a huge part of the community the amount of people i talk to that have played D for the first time in the last one or two years like i'm meeting more of those people than i'm meeting of the people that have played for 20 years yeah. or 15 years yeah. or whatever you know i got a thing if you follow me on instagram you saw this probably but i got a picture on uh facebook that was uh we were playing D D, and when we play D D, we drink some beers and i took my d20 and i put it in the cap of my beer bottle and i took a photo of it and i realized that uh and it, it popped up and it was like six years ago you posted this photo and i was like i it i think we started six years ago and i've been playing D D for about six maybe seven years now because i'm not exactly sure when i took that photo but uh, mm-hmm. It's really I was a I was a late person playing D and D like I didn't play as a kid, and it's completely changed my life for the better. And I I just love that this game this hobby has introduced me to such great new friends and both local friends and now online friends. Like I go to Gen Con and I'm just like oh my gosh we talk on the internet all the time but I never mm-hmm. see you and this is so cool. Uh, and yeah like it's just been six crazy awesome years so that's really cool. Yeah. I'm excited. No matter what they get, I'll be excited. I, yeah. if, when, if they were to say, Lucian, what do you want? These are all the things that I would say for sure. But I like the stuff they put out. I enjoy reading the books. I know there's lots of people that 
or I wouldn't say lots. There are people that don't like that version. They don't like the formats or the layouts or the way they do their things, but that's okay. That's there's other games out there. I'm sure for you, then maybe you, you like Paizo games, or maybe you like Monty cook games, or maybe you like indie, you know, games. Maybe that's the way you like to go. But for, I love reading through a, a wizards of the coast book. They just, I'm part of that, that, capturing audience they're looking for is is me because i read those things and i love reading through them like ghost of salt marsh was such a good book it's just so fun to read through you know i don't know i just i love it i can't wait to see more stuff like that speaking of numenera um it arrived in the mail yeah Uh, you can't see it but it's behind me and uh how much did you read of it none because oh, I have okay. no time, and I've been prepping D and D, and it's and I've been trying to make videos. And our baby, I love him so much. He cries all the time, <laughs> and I'm like, baby, just focus so that I can read a D and D book, but uh, or a RPG book. But no, uh, you know. And I talk to my friends, and I'm like, guys, I want to. Yeah. And then we were talking about last week. We were talking about Eberron, and or I think on no on Twitter. I was like, I want to run an Eberron game using uh, Numenera's rule set. And how much fun would that be? So, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I just, ugh, I think those two are like a match made in heaven. But uh, jumping forward to Bardic Inspiration. Uh, <laughs> what, what were you inspired this week by? What's going on? A little bit of some of the Eberron stuff. And I was thinking more of a storyline based. And it also was from a set of books that I remember reading, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, that kind of combined the idea of a medieval but magic world and the idea of that very first step of technology happens. So... um, the, the idea I was thinking about is running a campaign. This is the kernel here. This is the little, little tidbit to, to start the whole thing going is the campaign starts and there is a, an engineer who's going to be the first one ever has designed an actual steam engine, not magic, not using, you know, elementals, not using any magic based whatsoever. And they want to create a, um, a connection from, Waterdeep to Silvery Moon. And the whole campaign would revolve around how that would actually work. You know, working with your patron, the person who's hired you to help them is this person who has this big, broad, grand idea, but maybe doesn't think of the details, right? Mm -hmm. So they're Mm -hmm. the big picture and they're not thinking about all the problems that this can cause, all the things that they're going to have to overcome, all the things that they're going to have to do. That's what your party's for, right? So you're you're there to do that. So if you watch the shows like Hell on Wheels or any of these old shows where it talks about trying to bring, you know, the transcontinental um, uh, trains across America type thing, kind of the same thing. And it allows you to set up as a dungeon masters, many different NPCs that are very polarizing. So you can have very altruistic NPCs, but you can have the very evil NPCs that are, that are there too. And the players have to navigate this really odd set of circumstances of what you're trying to do. And it's all based on trying to make this link between Silvery Moon and Waterdeep. And I think mm-hmm. you could run a really fun and cool campaign to let the players explore how something like that would work and keep it very technologically based, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. as far as the train itself. Whereas you could do, you might say, well, you could just do that in Eberron because they have lightning rails and they have really cool airships. But most of those are still magic infused creations. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you're you're using magic to do technological things. <clears throat> I'm thinking more of the idea of your world is a magic world that gets introduced to the very first piece of real technology. Because after that, that's that's the, where the word technology starts to come from. Is you get you start with something like a steam engine or a or you start with a telephone or you start with a light bulb. That's all done by natural causes, and then you that leads you up to you know, where we're at, the computer mm-hmm. age and streaming and whatever. So this idea of you're there during the moment, there was a, a some books, chat can help out. I'm trying to remember the name of them off the top of my head, but it was, there was a book set that just the, the company had created a, they were able to cast a bell. And then they took that and said, well, if we can cast a bell, make these huge castings of these things for the very first time, we can actually now just invent the very first cannon because you have to be able to cast the barrel, which is the very first time you have something very explosive pushing out, but it doesn't destroy the thing that it's pushing out of. So you Mm -hmm. get gunpowder is introduced to a world and that changes everything. Or you get the steam engine introduced to the world and that changes everything. You get the telegraph introduced to the world and that changes everything. So some type of kernel of technology that you throw into your world and see how that how that reacts and see where your players take it. What, what do your players do? They become, do they become tyrants? Do they try to navigate in some, you know, diplomatic way for everything? Because if you're going through lands of the elves and you're going through the lands of orc tribes and you're going through the lands of farmers and other small towns, how do you negotiate that? You know, do you, do you do it like the old West and it's, it's bloody and violent and crazy is it? Do you somehow use diplomacy to get all this worked out? Do you come up with you know just all these different things and let your players explore that? So that was the little kernel that I had that I thought might be interesting, and you could run a pretty long campaign based on an idea like that. Yeah. So that was my what had been bouncing through my head all week long, thinking about how I would do that. So, but what about you? What kind of bardic inspiration did you have for kind of a, a campaign kernel or something to run an adventure campaign well, off of? So, uh, I guess, I don't know. I'm really bad at this bardic inspiration thing. Uh, but I had, um, I watched a phenomenal movie, Knives Out. Um, yeah, loved it. So good. good. So yeah. good. And I have, uh, uh, and it makes me think of like Murder on the Orient Express, going back to your mm-hmm. train reference and things like that. And I have never, um, I guess we kind of did with our Eberron game that D&D Elise ran for us. But, um I've never really played like a whodunit kind of thing where we have to, you know, it's not about fighting. It's about figuring out who the murderer is or the bad guy on a very isolated thing, like a train or an airship or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of was thinking about that and I, cause knives out is ugh, so good. And I, I have not experienced a whodunit story that was executed so well. And it was just an original movie. It was really cool. Uh, and I, and so I was kind of thinking I want to do something like that where uh, we need to we need to detective our way through this. And so it would be a lot of puzzles and less fighting um, mm-hmm. and probably like one session because I think it could get kind of like monotonous. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, 
Not that I you think should watch it. this show. There's like this play and a movie. I think it's called Clue. Yeah, yeah. If you good, watch good that, show. I think you'd get some good ideas. Good show. <laughs> um, actually, I'm going to look at my downloaded. Yeah, because uh, that's the thing, GMs, Dungeon Masters that are out there in chat. How could you make a compelling and fun whodunit? adventure and yeah. D&D. So you're using D&D rules, but you're trying to engage your players enough that it's fun for them to investigate. And the investigation part is fun. Like yeah. there's things they're doing. They're running around from room to room or from spot to spot. They're gaining clues, but it's not quite enough clues or it's a clue that leads them to a different clue, but it still has to be fun and not monotonous. I mean, how would you even do that? That's got to be like the holy grail of running a dungeon in dragons game that we don't have we know how to run like a dungeon and a combat we oh, know yeah. how to run you know an rp session in a bar we know how to to do those kinds of things but how do we do a whodunit you know how do you how would you do that um and i don't know why i didn't think about this before i wrote it down but i'm going to put it in chat that uh i did run a whodunit um there is a really good dm's guild uh, adventure called scarab of death and it's a murder mystery for high-level players. Mm. And what I really – and I've ran it twice. And what I really like about it is that uh, there are things like uh, Zone of Truth, um, Speak with Dead. You know, Zone of Truth, were you the killer? No. Yes. You know, and Speak with Dead, who killed you? This guy. Okay. Uh, and so this whole adventure takes into account – abilities that high level players have so this is like level 10 or 11 i think that high level players have um and those high level players can use those abilities and they don't get the the exact answer they need they instead get clues and the players mm -hmm. have to figure it out so uh i really recommend scarab of death i'm going to put it in both chats but it's uh yeah it's really that was a fun adventure so uh there you go i did that uh, and, and I solved my own, I solved my own things. Uh, but no, I, I really like murder mysteries. I like the idea of them and, uh, that it's just, I don't know. They're really cool. Like I want to do something cool like that again. <laughs> um, and then other thing I was thinking of, so I was listening to a couple podcasts about D and D one of them, uh, they were talking a lot about Eberron and another one was talking about, uh, uh, maimed characters. Like if you lose an arm or a leg and, not that I want a whole adventure about this, but in, I think we can both agree in the world of Dungeons and Dragons where there's fantastic magic and technology and all this other stuff, uh, just because you lose your arm is not the end of the world. Like we can mm -hmm. magically grow it back. We could put a prosthetic on it. We could do this other thing. And then I was looking at the treasures in Eberron and there's a lot of these like, like arcane propulsion arm and arm blade and all of these different things that if you are missing an arm, you can then replace it. And this also kind of ties into the fact that I'm running my Shadowfell game tomorrow with the hand of Vecna. And I have to decide what happens when someone actually cuts off their arm and grafts this hand to their arm. <laughs> so uh, it's relevant. So it's relevant. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I don't know. There's just, um, I think that that is a really cool story option to put into a game and D D doesn't have D 5e doesn't have specific rules for monsters like this monster when it does 30 hit points of damage to you 
you lose, you roll randomly and you lose an arm or something like that. And mm -hmm. I would like to see, um, I don't know, how do you feel about that? Because as a player, I would be really upset that how I envisioned my character with sword and shield, now he can only hold a shield or he can only hold a sword. So I get that. Like, you don't want to make your, your players really upset, but the quest to fix your arm, the quest to grow back your leg, I think that's really interesting and how fun that would be. So I don't know. There's a story there, and I want to do that. I want to play that yeah. game. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, there's lots of games out there that have some of those kind of maiming features yeah. or insanity if you want to deal with getting insanity points mm -hmm. or your mind start like if you're doing any of the Call of Cthulhu type yeah. games. Um and what it is is you're adding kind of a, a restriction or an obstacle to the player that allows them to try to find a way in story to overcome. Yeah. And what what's that journey to do that? So I think, yeah, it could be fun if it's embraced by like you said, if it's embraced, like if, if I'm okay with it and you're like, we talk about it and it's like, okay, this yeah. can be cool because now I'm going to spend this part of the adventure trying to figure out what's going to happen. That's great. But what happens when you do that to the player that doesn't want that? Like, you know, it, it turns into the same thing. Like when we talk about the same discussion where if you killed the pet that your wife rides for her character, yeah. That's that's how sure, she could say, around. oh, it's cool. Yeah. We could find a way that in the game, what would how what would my character do? How would they replace or would they or, you know, I could explore that, but only if they want to. If you just yeah. throw that on them, <laughs> all kinds of craziness yeah. could happen. Then yeah, I'd be very and, careful. And that goes back to just communication in general. You need to yeah. have that conversation with your players beforehand. And then when it happens, Again, have that conversation with your player and say, you know, just because you lost your your arm doesn't mean, you know, yes, you can only do one attack for like a couple of sessions, but we're going to figure it out. And how cool will it be when you have like a cool robot arm or something? I don't know. So, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that's yeah. kind of that's what's going on there. But yeah, uh, if, they, if you get yeah. the buy in, then I think, yeah, there's yeah. some really cool because yeah, just role fun. playing like games it. allow us to explore things that we don't experience. Right. That's mm -hmm. really what role-playing games can be um, if you want it to be. So if you want to try to explore something that you in your own life don't experience or have never had to deal with, but you could try it out as one of your characters. <clears throat> I don't see any, I think that's great. Yeah. I think you're at least trying to understand it. You're trying to wear the shoes of a person that might be in that position or, yeah. um, you know, It'd be interesting. I think yeah. I think it'd be fun. I would embrace it. I would be at a player that would be willing to embrace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Randomizer in YouTube chat says page two seventy two lingering in injuries. So mm -hmm. there is a variant rule for that. Uh, I just don't have the DMG memorized. But thank you so much for mm -hmm. helping us out. That's good. Uh, we have ten minutes. What did you do in games, real quick, before we have to? I bounce? played Tube of Annihilation. Only the best adventure released by <laughs> Wizards of the Coast so far, in in Lucian's opinion. I love it so much. It's been so good. Mm -hmm. um, we got to fight, and it's not really spoiler. I don't think. I mean, you're going to fight a lot of stuff in any um, Wizards of the Coast adventure. But we had a cool fight against some demons that made me think. I, during the fight, as it's happening. I was I threw my dungeon master hat on because I was playing, but I threw my dungeon master hat on. And thought, oh, how cool would it be that this is the moment? This thing is linked to descent into Avernus in some way. Knowing that I want to, like, if I'm the dungeon master, I'd want to transition them after this 
right. to the next campaign and I'm looking for where it's going to go. And maybe mm. this moment, this cool battle is the trigger. They're not just unnamed demons. They're demons that we're going to meet again or, you know, because we've just sent them back to hell by fighting them here on the material plane. That's going to come up again later. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, what a cool tie-in. So that was kind of cool. Um, and just to see some of the other creatures that are out there. I mean, you get used to in adventures fighting similar stuff at times. And it's fun to get stuff you don't see all the time. So, um, you know, and there's a lot of different types of demons and devils and things that yeah. you can fight. Um, so it's cool to see some of that stuff. And, oh, there was uh, one of them had an ability, I think is what it was, more of an ability, but our, our dungeon master allowed it to be attached to the weapon. Um, they had an axe that the ability was, if they rolled a 20, they cut the head off of whatever they were attacking. Right. And it happened. He killed our NPC, one of our really good NPCs that had been running with us, rolled a 20 on the first round of the fight and that character died and everybody was like what just happened and then everybody started freaking out because it was like what if he rolls a 20 when he hits me what is going to happen because it's just like it doesn't matter what you got your head's gone it was yeah. like what um and so we we are able to get out of it everybody changed what they were doing to make sure they didn't get hit by this thing and uh we had an uh, one other npc that we have with us picked up the axe and then in a later fight was able to use it, roll the 20 and cut the head off of something, which was super awesome too. Mm -hmm. So it's a really cool story that we're going to be able to tell back and forth and remember amongst us as those that have played this. And I'm trying to be vague so that if people are still playing Tomb Annihilation, I'm not giving away too much, yeah. but it was really cool to see. We have, I've not seen, basically we know that as a Vorpal weapon, right? Yeah. That was a big thing you would hear about or use or aspire to get for your character in third edition. I didn't see a lot of it in fourth edition because I didn't play it much or at all. And fifth edition, I haven't really played characters that have gotten a weapon like that or even had one show up in a campaign yet. So this was the first time I saw the Vorpal weapon make it. It was crazy. It like threw the party in disarray. It was so cool. So I, I thought that was really fun. It was really exciting. I can't wait to see what happens in this next coming up Wednesday. Um, my Monday night seeking revenue is on hold for the moment. Uh, I, me and Jordan share quite a bit of our lives with everybody, but we don't necessarily share everything. And one of the things I had not shared was that um, I had was laid off a few months ago and had been really dealing with the whole work, looking for work thing. And that was a lot of stress. And, but you know, new year, new jobs coming. So everything's great, Woo. but I want to give myself some time to, to adjust to the new schedule. So my Monday night streaming game, Seeking Revenue is on hold for now. I'm still going to play in the Wednesday night game because playing is always easier than being the dungeon master and yeah. have to organize everything and run it and stream it and all that stuff. So, but it'll be back. I'll be back to running games pretty soon. And I want to be running all the other games, but I just want to give that some time to breathe. Um, so that was, that was my week was just having a lot of fun playing that Tomb of Annihilation. And we're all talking about, because we know Tomb of Annihilation is about to end. Mm -hmm. um, we're getting close. You can just feel the climax building and whether win or lose, it's going to happen probably in the next two or three weeks. So by the start of February, most likely we're going to be playing a new campaign and we're all already discussing the characters that we're going to play in that campaign. Cause we're still going to play Wednesday nights and we're still going to play, we're, we're going to play um, water deep. Yeah. So we're going to move. So we're moving new characters starting from level one and we're going to take a whole group through that. So we're having fun nice. with character creation and yeah. just thinking about the character you want to play is so fun that can drive me for weeks. So, but what mm -hmm. a Jordan 
get to play in Dungeons and Dragons this last week. Yeah. So I ran Salt Marsh, which was a lot of fun. Uh, and I played in Acquisitions Incorporated. And we're, so I'm going to talk about Act Inc. first because I think that was the more interesting one. But we were in a casino with like dwarves or Duragar, and they're like, I don't know, gambling for tokens or something. And we worked our way through an area and opened a locked door and we went inside and there was a clockwork, like a giant clockwork centipede that Mm -hmm. started attacking us. And it was that classic case of like, you know, it's kind of a balanced fight, but like when we roll just awful and the centipede rolled really, really well, uh, it started devouring players and it had eaten two of the players uh, who are now making like death saves inside of its gut. And I'm just like, I don't know what to do. Um, my character has a magic item of teleport and we had to look at teleport. We had to read it. We had to reread it to make sure exactly how it worked. I, I was under the impression that you had to like touch people in order to teleport them, but rereading the spell, you only have to see them in like a 60 foot radius. And I'm like, well, that's kind of crazy. And it can be, you know, X amount of players. And then, but the key word for this is that can you have to see the player and mm-hmm. two of our, uh, or see the character and two of our characters were devoured by this monster. But then we checked the monster manual and stuff. And it specifically says you can see through the monster because it's all clockwork gears. So the DM ruled that I could see our Enough. fallen party members in the stomach of this creature and so I cast teleport and we all zip out of there instantly. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was really cool. It was really fun. Uh, but that also hits a, a, a new achievement for me. I've never ran away from a battle like that before. Um, we're level the monster one, level but we, six. we had the to monster run, one. Right? We had to run or we were going to lose party members. Cause the healer was in the stomach. Um, somebody else was in the stomach. I think it was the sorcerer, the thief, and uh, I don't remember who has all survived. Oh, yeah, there's only four of us. So it was a sorcerer and the thief. And we're looking on the outside being like, I don't know what to do. Like we and then we he wasn't even bloodied yet. We hadn't done half of his hit points. I'm like, there's no way that I can kill this thing before those guys fail death saving throws. And then we have no way of resurrecting them. So we had to run. And luckily, we had this magic item that teleported us. So that was it was really crazy. We did a short rest. And then we ran back and killed it. And so it was one of those things like, you know, when you're prepared and you know what's going on and we can kind of like, a, you know, we know that it eats you and we know that it does this. You can you can do that. So that's where we ended. We're all like super hurt. And the room that we were in turned out to be a honey, honey trap, honey trap. Uh, oh, so yeah. there's no reason for us to be there other than we got attacked. So now we have to go back and explore <laughs> the rest of it. So I don't know. We're going to do that today after the show. I'm, I'm going to drive over to my friend's house. We're going to finish, not finish. We've got like three sessions left of Ack Inc., but I'm really excited where that's going. Uh, a lot, a lot of fun with that adventure so far. I want to run it at some point. Salt Marsh, uh, they're still exploring the Sahagwin Fortress. Um, rather than running away, they decided to, uh, jump up to, um, to go to, uh, uh, the second level. And they found a ritual with like three Sahagwin, and in this ritual, the Sahagwin are trying to, like, mutate some kind of uh, 
some kind of uh, a shark. So the shark has two heads. And it was a custom monster for um, this adventure. And so they had to fight this this shark with two heads, which reminds us all of an Aquabat song. <laughs> but uh, they, they did that, and it was a lot of fun. So, But it's really interesting because now they're, they're super hurting, and they're not really sure where to go because they decided to go up to a second level without a map of the area. And they're like, how do we get out of here? And they're like, well, we could go back the way we came, but there's like, there's like Sahagwin there and there's a bunch of other stuff. Uh, they also summoned a demon to lure the Sahagwin out of the fortress, but that only lasted an hour. So maybe their demon died or maybe their demon is now free of control because that's what it is. It either dies uh, and returns back to the abyss or after an hour if it's still alive it is free of control and it will go out so i'm really excited to see you know is this demon going to come back and, and attack them is this demon vengeful uh what's going to happen or is he just going to run amok and they're going to find out that like oh yeah this entire town got slaughtered because of this rogue demon that came in we don't know where it comes from and they just kind of have to like whistle and roll their eyes like oh it's weird I don't know. <laughs> that's weird yeah um, yeah, and that's exactly what I'd want to happen. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I want to incorporate that somehow. I think it's gonna be really yeah. fun and interesting. Uh, I like things like that. I did decide with Saltmarsh that um, there's so many side quests, and I talked to my players about this. That I'm like, and the only reason I I'm doing this is because we have another player that wants to run a game for us, and he's really excited for it. That I think I'm going to cut out a lot of the side quests. And we're going to focus on the main storyline so that we can finish Saltmarsh and then play his game is kind of the idea, which which will be fun. But you're you're almost streamlining it where you're like, OK, guys, like you, you know, I gave you I gave you six options, but really there's only two if you guys want to stay on the main course of the of the adventure. Uh, but we'll see. Like there are there are specific parts in Salt Marsh where they kind of jump from level seven to nine, and you're supposed to do a bunch of side quests and stuff. So maybe I'll do one night of side quests, and then that gets them to level nine, and they can go back to the main adventure or something. But uh, I don't know. We're all having a lot of fun with it. Nobody really wants it to end, but this player is really excited about the game he wants to run, and we're all kind of excited to play in that one too. So yeah. Very cool. That is uh, games. I'm playing Acquisitions Incorporated again today, and then go. I go back to work on Monday. So, uh, yeah, and then hopefully I will get uh, a new game that I'm prepping uh, started. We're thinking end of January, but I still have to find a couple players and stuff, and uh, we'll see if that goes. But I'm going to dip my toe into the online streaming world. It should be a lot of fun. Uh, Lucian, anything else before we take off for the day? That is it for show of 2020. It's exciting. Um, I'm excited to see what we get. I can't wait to, for everybody to be off vacation at Wizards of the Coast so we can find out what, what we're about to do. They should start hinting stuff. So I'm, I'm really excited. I want to play more games. I'm looking forward to conventions. And I'm glad that everybody joins us on these morning shows or watches us on YouTube. Remember, if you want to submit questions for the 100th episode uh, Q&A kind of session, that you can do that uh, on the Discord, which you can also join on the Discord, or yeah, you can the do the 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 hashtag um, Saturday morning. What was it? SMDND one hundred. Hundred. There yes. you go. <laughs> I'll put it in the show That's notes the and the YouTube thing, uh, yeah. the YouTube description. But yeah, uh, we've gotten quite a few. I actually got one email of a question, so that's really cool. Um, cool. We're gonna finalize these, and then yeah, for episode one hundred, uh, I'm still I'm still trying to get. Um, 
I, I just haven't had a lot of time, but I'm still trying to get a company who will maybe donate some stuff for a giveaway to us. If that doesn't work out, I will probably just throw some of my own money at and, and, and do a giveaway. Um, I'm not thinking a book. It's it probably we will dice or something um, mm-hmm. because I guess we could do like maybe Rise of Eberron or something. I don't know, but I'll talk to Lucian about it. But <laughs> episode 100 should be a lot of fun. We're going to we're going to just take questions and answer questions for that episode. Uh, and it'll be it'll be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. Uh you guys are awesome. Thank you, chat. Thank you, uh, both YouTube and Twitch chat. Thank you, mm-hmm. uh, podcast listeners, and for reviewing our podcast on iTunes and various other streaming services. We appreciate all of those. Um, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thank you again. Give us questions for episode 100. Join the Discord, blah, blah, blah. Uh, <laughs> we will see you next week with episode 99 of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Uh, in which we will uh, talk about stuff and things. It'll be great. Uh, Anything else before we leave, Lucian? That's it. All right. Take care, everybody. We will see you next (laughs) week with another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Goodbye. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.